Welcome to Heroic Hearts Podcast, where we will explore the heroic journeys of St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese of Lisieux to heal, inspire, and re-enchant our own hearts. Hello and greetings again. This is Amy Chase from Heroic Hearts, and I'm here with my co-host, Walter Emerson. Hello, Walter. Hello, Amy. I'm excited. We're into our second season. I know, and it's it's so delightful to be talking about Therese after we had this amazing journey with St. Joan of Arc, and now um, to be with her sister, Therese, in a very different kind of journey. Still exciting, yeah. still really inspirational, but but a very different type of experience. So, well, as, as I said in the in the previous episode, it's the same but different. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, um, before we start talking about Therese, though, let's go ahead and share our enchanting moments for the week. Uh, why don't you go first this time? I did have a, a really wonderful uh, enchanting moment. We're not far. I don't know. Listeners might be familiar with the National Shrine of Saint Maximilian Kolbe in uh, Mundelein, where the actually the Mundelein uh, Seminary is, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. You should you know Google it, get the website, and it's it's really one of the most beautiful um, chapels around. And for oh, I may get this wrong, but I think for eighty some years, they've had perpetual adoration. So at the shrine, you can go in really twenty four seven and um and adore uh, the, the the eucharist on any day i mean other than you know they're giving mass on certain times and so we've we're not as close to it as we used to be we used to to live a lot closer to it so we for almost 20 years we went there quite quite a bit um, to and you could really anytime it could be one in the morning you want to make a visit and you go and we were not quite as close to it as before but we did have an opportunity to go down and make a special visit at the shrine. And it was really a, a beautiful experience to go in and just reflect on all the years that we had been going down there and to sit before the, 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 the Eucharist in the beautiful monstrance that's held up above the, the shrine. And so it, it really was a, a wonderful moment. Sometimes absence makes the heart grow stronger, right? And so we hadn't been there as as frequently as we 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 used to be. So it was truly, um, uh, of course, anytime you go before the Blessed Sacrament, that's an enchanting moment. But the shrine of um, at Marytown, uh, St. Maximilian Colby, um, is is uh, particularly special. Well, here's something I don't think you know. I've actually made a retreat there. So I, oh, no. I, I have been there. Usually when you're sharing these stories about all these shrines you've been to, because we live in different parts of the country, I'm usually unfamiliar with them. But this one, I know, I was there a couple of years ago. So, and you're oh, right. Oh, really? A couple of years ago? Yeah, it oh was about, yeah, about two years ago. So, yeah, I, oh. I remember it fondly. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's fantastic. Yes, it's a beautiful, and they're a wonderful group there, and uh, the Franciscans. So, yes, there are many retreats. So, they, they do do a lot of retreats. Great. Well, I had just a very small enchanting moment uh, this week, and it's just that the magnolias are blooming, and I love that. They're it's one of my favorite flowers, and they're so beautiful. And what I love about them is that it, it's such an abundant sign of God's love. You know, it's this it's this big, huge, sweet-smelling flower. It's white, makes you think of purity. 
and it, it seems like it shouldn't grow on a tree, you know, like, <laughs> it seems like something that may, I don't know, it, it, it should come out of like prehistoric days or something. Cause it's such, it's such a big, big flower, but it's, it's beautiful. And I just enjoy this time of year. Well, I think makes us think of the Therese, the little flower and the, yes, for those who have read, uh, I know we're reading Heather King's book, but for those who have read her autobiography, she talks about, you know, how, um, you know, the Lord showed her different, uh, not everyone can be a rose, not everyone's, uh, you know, not everyone is a huge oak tree and that we all have our special place and a magnolia is, is, is one of those. So anytime we talk about flowers and the beauty of flowers in nature, I, I can't help but think of St. Therese. Well, it makes me wonder what my flower would be then, because um, I certainly don't think I'm a magnolia, but um, I don't know, maybe a daisy. <laughs> well, I, I just, I think in, in some, I wrote a long time ago, I think I described myself as a piece of grass. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't really, I couldn't really think of, um, of a flower, but I, I, I associated myself with being a piece of grass that was under the shade of the two beautiful flowers of St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese. So I tried to add a poetic aspect to it, but I couldn't picture myself as any more than a piece of grass. So. Well, one could be so lucky to be a grass, a piece of grass between those two. So um. if, I'm, if I'm under the shade of those two flowers, I'm perfectly happy to be a piece of grass. Well, very good. Um, so let's go ahead then, and uh, I'll let you open us in prayer. Okay, our heroic heart's prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O sacred heart of Jesus, form in us missionary hearts, hearts that burn to spread your faith, heroic hearts of the cross, wanting always and everywhere to bear witness to you, make us ready to suffer to show our love, and like our sisters, St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese, grant us the desire to conquer for you all the hearts of the universe. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. So today in this episode, we're going to be talking about two chapters from Heather King's book, Shirt of Flame, the, A Year with St. Therese. And each one of these chapters, so each chapter is dedicated to a month, but we're, you know, we're doing them a little, we're out of season just because of the way we, um, we're doing this, but each one's dedicated to a month and a theme. And so the theme for the month of March is on learning to serve. And it's that idea of moving away from being focused on yourself and learning to, to focus on and serve others. And then um, that rolls into April's theme, which is on daring to ask. And in that chapter, Therese asks for a very big um, event or, or grace from God, um, which we will get into. We kind of mentioned it a little bit in the last episode. But um, so that's the, the focus of, of our talk today. And so as we as we start with some reflective questions, Walter, I know you have a question that's related to a, a specific event from Teresa's life that we'll talk about today. Uh, sure. And, and what that is, is as we go through and for those who have read, the, they'll know. But for those who um, haven't. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Therese's experience with um, dying, you know, sort of the, that Christmas night experience that she had. She had that moment where she entered, importantly, the second phase of her life, which was a moment of conversion for her that happened, I don't say in an instant, but it happened, it was just a, a moment of grace. And it's, it's actually a famous story about Therese, the moment of her internal conversion away from her selfishness 
to thinking more charitably about other people that happened on on Christmas uh, Eve. And so, uh, you know, my question for people is, have you had an experience like that? Not necessarily on Christmas Eve, but have you in your life had an experience like that? Have you had a moment where you experienced some sort of conversion, some sort of it? It was a moment where your life changed and changed in a way that you believe is a moment of grace. And, you know, can you contemplate that, maybe journal a little bit about that and think about what was that? Have you have you ever sat down and journaled about that? What what was it and what is what was God trying to say to you? You know, I was, as you know, I was raised in evangelical churches, um, so I was not raised as a Catholic. And in in that experience, that part of my life, the conversion moment was usually expected to um to coincide with an altar call. That was that was sort of the the typical entry into the Christian life, I guess, was that altar call. And for someone like me who who never had a discernible altar call, I always, you know, that there was uh I used to wonder about my salvation and and if um how that works if you don't have that. But when I became a Catholic later in life, I, I realized that conversion is an ongoing experience, you know? Yeah. It's not, it's for most of us, it's not a one and done. <laughs> right, right. And, and sometimes we do have those profound moments, those Christmas Eve moments like St. Therese. And sometimes they just happen in the small day-to-day events of our lives. It, yeah, it, exactly. And that's really what we're, we're, uh, we're talking about. And I, I know what you mean. The, um, you know, conversion for us is an ongoing process and one that we hope to advance in greatly, you know, before we die. But we do have these moments of grace from the Holy Spirit, these moments of, I think they're technically called actual graces, um, uh, you know, as distinct from sanctifying grace, if you want to get technical about it. But actual graces are these moments of uh, enlightenment, uh, or when your conscience stings you a little bit, or it's the Holy Spirit guiding you, like saying, wait a minute, you shouldn't shouldn't really be doing this over here. And have you ever thought about this over here? And we get those moments of enlightenment and we, we can experience these, these moments. And they're, they're, like you say, Amy, they're not necessarily an altar call, but they're moments of profundity. They're moments where a, a profound thought hits us. And that is the Holy Spirit uh, working in our lives. Mm, yes. Well, my question then is, is, a little bit more focused on that aspect of learning to die to self. So in our conversions, it usually requires us to relinquish some aspects of um, some simple aspects of our lives or, or some selfish aspects. And so for, for St. Therese, she, she, there's a moment where she learns to set aside her desires and her wishes, wishes and, and then begin to serve and please others. Um, and so in what ways might God be asking us right now to lay down our life for another? Um, and, and we can usually know what that is because oftentimes it's something that we may chafe against initially, or it may be a little bit painful. Um, it may be, it may be happening with a cross that we're bearing right now, but just that learning to die to self in order to serve others. That's my question. That, that's a, that's a great, great question. And a profound one. <laughs> um, if if we could successfully answer that, I think we would be in good. These aren't we easy would, questions. When when not, we ask reflective questions, we know that 
oftentimes a listener is going to have to go deep as they, as they reflect on, but that's, you know, we're, we're hoping by that to help, help these stories really um, impact. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, uh, you know, we've mentioned it before uh, and even, even going back to season one, you know, we're, we're kind of asking them in a sense to invite the listener to think of it maybe more in a, a journaling standpoint uh, than just a quick question, you know, yes. or a quick thought while we're, while we're going through. Uh, we tend, I, I do, and I think you do too, Amy, tend to think of these questions as, you know, were you to journal, perhaps you want to journal about these. I do, I do journaling, but even if you're not into journaling, um, to, to spend time thinking about these questions, they're, they're not really questions where you go, oh yeah, Hey, I never really thought of that. Uh, that was neat. It's really something that requires maybe prayer and, and ongoing meditation. So we're hoping to inspire people to do that. And if listeners uh, are hearing this in their car on their daily commute or something, it might be a good idea after the show is over, just, just spend a, a few minutes in, in silence thinking about those questions as you drive. You know, that's another great opportune time if, if, if you don't have time to journal or, you know, take time outside of, out, outside of uh, your other act, daily activities. That's another way to, to get it in or on a walk or something, you know, just just having that time for reflection. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, so let's, let's talk then about that second conversion that Therese had. Do you want to um, share that story with us? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, chatting a little bit about that because there's, there's kind of a step. If you follow through uh, Heather's book, uh, which we're, we're going through. And again, just as a quick reminder, we talked about it last time. This is a really good book about St. Therese. And we mentioned it last time, but Heather does a beautiful job of bringing Therese to us. And, and uh, Heather herself, very open in the book about being a, a broken person, having gone through many problems. She talks openly about her experiences with alcoholism and, and other types of things. So she's very open. And she just does a wonderful job of making this young, you know, seemingly perfect little saint in 19th century France accessible to us, which is really the question, you know, people have. So we're, we're into uh, to her book. So she, again, provides us with some really, I think, profound and brutally honest uh, assessments. So as we're moving Amy up to that moment of conversion that I that we talked about, this, this sort of uh, Christmas um, conversion that she had when she was... Um, a, a young girl, like, um, you know, in her preteen, really, um, when she had the experience. But we have to remember that, um, as we talked about last time, she had three phases of, of her life, the first up to the age four, when her mother died. And, and everything up to, uh, up to that point was uh, sunshine and flowers and birds. And, and then after her mother died, she went in this very dark period, right? So we talked about that last time this hypersensitivity and the, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of neurosis, uh, mm -hmm. you know, type of a thing. And so she's, she, when she was, uh, when she was in that, Heather talks about this in the March uh, section where, uh, you know, Heather, Heather asked, or points out, she says, you know, that it springs from an almost unimaginably deep hunger for connection. And then she goes on to say, Heather, uh, not Therese, but Heather goes on to say, I also knew I'd been undergoing or had to undergo a massive psychic death in order to free myself for a more mature uh, way to love romantic or, or, or otherwise. 
So I think the Amy, the preparation she's giving us here is that this moment of conversion that Therese eventually has that we'll talk about on, on Christmas Eve, a very famous story about Therese, that there was a preparation for that. And that was her suffering, her hypersensitive suffering. And the fact that this, this really kind of bubbled to the surface as the need to do, as you said in your reflective question, to, to die to yourself, to have, uh, I, I love that term Heather uses, of undergoing a psychic death. <laughs> yes. um, it's, a, it's a brutally honest term, but it's what really we're going through when we're going through the, these uh, internal interior crosses. And so that's kind of the preparation leading up to that is this, this need for a, a certain death to ourselves mm-hmm. uh, to overcome these interior, these interior crosses. And, and for the sake of context, we want to remind um, everyone that Trez is still about 14 at this point. Yeah. Right? And so her whole life is, we can look at it, it's accelerated. I mean, she only lived to the age of 24. So those things that you and I are probably experiencing in our later adult life, you know, she's going through these, um, these trials and this crucible in her very early adolescence. Uh, yes. I think it's a really great point. Um, really both Joan and Therese, uh, we're talking about young ladies, Joan who died at 19 and Therese who died at 24. And yet they sort of encapsulate so much that it seems to take the rest of us a lot longer to, to get through, but they really are encapsulated, um, versions, uh, for us to be able to look at in in our own lives. I think that's really good. Now she says in, um, you know, Heather, again, speaking in in her words, sooner or later, everyone on a serious spiritual path has to undergo such a a death. And, and again, I think it's uh, profoundly, uh, wise and insightful point that she brings up that whatever your state, whether you're a young um, lady in 19th century France and Normandy, or whether you are an alcoholic in a bar in LA, or you're suffering from other things, th- those are not necessarily uh, uh, distinctions that, that necessarily matter. What matters is that all of us have to undergo who are on a serious spiritual path, all of us have to undergo this type of a, of a death. And yeah, we, it, that was also part of the, the hero's journey model that we looked at last season, that, that martyrdom and the resurrection, like there is a death. It has to happen in every life story. Yeah. And, and, you know, here's, we'll get, to, you know, now we get to the Christmas uh, story and you might think, Oh, well, you know, Mine's a lot more dramatic than that. I mean, my gosh, I was, I crashed and burned in life and had all sorts of problems. And Therese was on the stairs and had an experience on Christmas Eve, but it was the very, it was the same thing. And it was, it was exactly what we need to hear. So, so uh, the tradition was that you, for the younger people, you know, kind of like today, we have things that we do for the young kids like uh, put the stockings and then we show like, look, Santa Claus came down the chimney and they go, wow, I can't believe Santa Claus came. So we have those things we do for the the younger people. So they had a tradition whereby they would, uh, the kids, the young kids would, instead of stockings, they'd put the shoes out in front of the fireplace and then the shoes would end up with candy in them. 
So you got to come down. Oh, wow. Look at that. I got candy. I think I like, like our tradition of stockings better. I don't want to eat right, yeah, right. my shoes. <laughs> well, I'd probably get a newer pair of shoes and some of my old tennis shoes or something like that. But, but, uh, uh, yeah, but at that point, all the other sisters had outgrown that. So, right. So some of our tra- traditions we outgrow and they had outgrown that except for Therese. She was the youngest and she was the last. And her, they came home after midnight mass and her father was uh, uncharacteristically a little bit, uh, he was a saintly man, but you know how it is. Sometimes you come home at one o'clock in the morning after mass and um, you're tired. And so he was kind of uncharacteristically cranky and a little bit impatient uh, after getting in so late. And he didn't know Therese was listening because she was about halfway up the staircase and he, he murmured something about, well, you know, it's a good thing this will be the last time. Like, you know, like he was just kind of, <laughs> yeah, all right. Last time we've got to do this. And, uh, Therese, who normally, you know, up to that point for the time her mother died and, and her hypersensitivity, remember she made herself sick. Uh, she had taken on, um, one of her older sisters as a new mother. And then when she went into the convent, Therese was just, just, devastated. yeah, devastated and sick and in bed and, she had the healing from the Virgin Mary. So it's quite dramatic for uh, a young girl. So normally, how would Therese respond to that? Well, she would normally respond just with frantic hypersensitivity, anxiety, uh, cry, uh, you know, go up, you know, upstairs. And what happened was she was she was overwhelmed with a sense of calmness, peace, and and, and a strength to just go down and embrace you know, her father and her family and just realize that, you know what, this is not about me. This is about other people. And she immediately, and this is what I meant in my question when I said she had this Christmas moment, she immediately had a moment where through grace, grace overcame all these weaknesses. Grace overcame all of her, her issues and she matured, not just, um, you know, as a, as a young teenager, she matured spiritually, you know, in, a, in, a, in an instant. It was just a moment of grace. And it's, it's kind of a famous moment that people talk about, the moment of grace, the Christmas conversion of Therese. And you might say, well, okay, that, you know, my story is... <laughs> you know, pretty rough. You know, I, it was a lot more rough than standing there, you know, uh, getting candy on, on Christmas Eve. But what we're talking about is the exact same. Um, it's still just as hard. If you ever try to put your ego aside, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, just to, in order to um, play this, uh, this charade on Christmas Eve, or if it's to transform your life like that, that putting aside your ego is hard. Well, I, I had a moment like that and I talked about it in, in season one and it was very, um, uh, um, uh, reflective of not just St. Joan, but of, of St. Therese. And it was exactly as you said, Amy, it wasn't necessarily an altar call, but I mentioned in season one that I, I had this moment of, um, reflection, uh, through the writings of St. Therese through her poetry and plays about Joan of Arc. And I, 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 I sort of had a moment like that where suddenly uh, things changed. My, my, my outlook, 
my desires. Uh, my life was refocused after that that moment. And it's the closest thing I can think of to a, a Christmas Eve moment. Now, that doesn't mean everybody has to have one of those, but I've always equated that uh, that that moment. And it certainly was was bound around these 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 two saints. And so in my own mind, I can relate in the sense, you know, that I, I mean, I was already Catholic and and, you know, was living a sacramental life and all that. But there, there was a moment when, when things changed and my focus in life became much more intensely oriented toward the spiritual life, not, not, not just going to church and then forgetting about it, but a spiritual life. I think those moments are always presenting themselves to us. I think when we have that choice, I think every time we have a choice. Um, so say, uh, you know, your husband does something to upset you. And your your initial act reaction is to get is to get mad is to get upset. Instead, if in, you know if you just put a smile on your face and you say, "Oh, thank you, thank you for you know whatever you did partially, <laughs> which wasn't my full request." That's usually what happens in my case. And mean it like that's that conversion moment, you know. So maybe we haven't had one that we can remember yet, like like you've had, Walter. But everybody today, in fact, will probably face a moment that could be their conversion moment. Well, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And, and very profound. And, and, and perhaps for some of us, we need a, a special moment. Uh, you know, I, it may be that we, we have special, you know, St. Therese, as much as we, you know, look, or, or maybe I, maybe I'm, I'm projecting to some degree what I had always thought. So this may not be, perhaps the listeners are, are far more savvy and, uh, and, and had a, a different perspective, but I always had this feeling that, uh, Therese was just, uh, kind of un, to a certain degree untouchable in the sense of she just seemed to live this idyllic life. And, and maybe I overlooked because it's all in her autobiography and, and other writings I've read, but maybe I, maybe I didn't pay enough attention to the challenges that she had and, and the, the anxieties and the, the sicknesses and things like that. Maybe I overlooked that a little bit, but she just always seemed like, oh, she lived. And if you've seen pictures of where they grew up, it was a beautiful home in the Normandy countryside. And, and for me, I was hitting some pretty serious problems (laughs) in life that were, I I just felt like a much worse person (laughs) and I didn't know how to relate to someone like St. Therese. But um, as I mentioned in the last section, I, and I guess, you know, I have to kind of think about this. It's not necessarily us connecting with Therese, but she reaches out to us. I was just going to say that. She really does. She chooses us and she reaches out to us in friendship, which is beautiful because she didn't have a lot of friends in her lifetime. And Heather King does a good job of, of drawing that out from Therese's experience in fact, the story that really touched me, and I can't remember if it was in the March or April chapter, but it was where she had two young girls at, at school. And, you know, she's probably about, I don't know, 10 or 11 at this time, and really, really tried to make them her friends and thought that they were her friends. And then one one of them goes away for a period and comes back and is just completely indifferent to her. And that that kind of rejection really resonated with me because I at that age in life, I, I was very similar. You know, I really craved 
uh, close friendships and, and I struggled to have them like Trez. And so the fact that she reaches out to us now, the fact that so many of us consider her our friend, I think is beautiful. And, and it just shows you how, how God, how God um, restores everything, everything that might be taken from us in this life there, he finds a way to restore it in the next. And sometimes you know, it's like you. <laughs> uh, that's really, that's, that's really a great thought, uh, Amy, because I'm, I'm looking as you're talking and it's in the April, in the opening part of April. It says, I didn't know, this is Therese speaking, not, not Heather, but this is Therese. I didn't have, like other former students, a teacher friend with whom I could go spend several hours. Nobody paid attention to me. So I went up to the gallery of the chapel and I remained before the Blessed Sacrament uh, until Papa could come get me. And this was my only comfort. Wasn't Jesus my only friend? So yeah. she, she, she had that, um, that sense of struggle, just like you said. Of, of, and, and you just mentioned it, Amy. She becomes our friend. And so she knows what it's like to feel... Uh, lonely. Yeah. Yeah. She, 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 she knows what it feels like to be uh, lonely. And, and she, she, like I say, she calls us, as I told in the last episode, when I went to the bookstore and I didn't know anything about Therese and I just saw the book there and I picked it up. There's no reason that a guy like me would want to read a, you know, there's a picture of none with some flowers and why would I want to read that? I was looking for, you know, really masculine type things. And, uh, but it was really, I think now that we're talking about it, it was really Therese saying, Hey, over here. <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, she definitely reached out to me because I, I don't remember if I shared this in season one, but I, she's my patron saint. And, um, when I got confirmed as an adult and I was trying to decide who, who I would pick for my patron saint, there were, I had a list of about four or five saints. Um, that I was discerning about. And she was the last one I added to that list because I had just stumbled across her name and picture. And again, remember, I wasn't Catholic. I didn't grow up Catholic. So I was sort of unfamiliar with her. And I prayed, I had a request of each one of those saints, like, you know, for whoever it was going to be, I, I asked for a specific sign. And so of course, from Trez, it was, it was a flower, um, a rose. And the very next day after I had made that prayer, the very next day, I, I walked into my office at work and there was a rose on my desk, a single rose, which no one ever claimed. None of my coworkers ever claimed it. And so, you know, from that day forward, I knew that, that St. Therese um, had, had chosen me and became, you know, became my patron saint. And, and it's been, uh, Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but it, but it's been a long time for me to get to know her because of the things you've said where her life just seems so good. And it's hard. It's some of us struggle to find a way to to um, identify with her or be able to enter into that friendship. But I can say over time, it's really happened for me. Well, and, and I like where we've kind of, you know, come, come here and I, and Heather King has helped us uh, in doing this because she brings that up. So Heather yes. herself has clearly struggled with these issues as she's open about uh, in the book. And I think it's delightful the way that she brings that out because now I, you can see, and I can see the way that Therese you know, has friended us and how she herself. So one thing we're seeing as we go through is that she really did struggle with the same issues and she's reaching down to us to uh, draw us into that heavenly beauty. And she has that ability with the grace of God, of, co of course, she has that ability to now take those sufferings, mm -hmm. those crosses she bared and turn them into, you know, graces for us. 
there's a beautiful, just one other quote I wanted to kind of do. This is in the April uh, uh, section, and it's on the very thing that you're talking about, Amy, where uh, this is Heather King speaking, but I think it's beautiful the way she says it in terms of the, the, the uh, loneliness of St. Therese. And Heather King says, I'm talking about the essential friendlessness of the human condition. I'm talking about the inevitable loneliness that comes with the attempt to follow Christ. To be a follower of Christ is necessarily to be out of step with a world that worships money, success, power, youth, and sex. We connect with ourselves, with God, with each other in the deepest possible way, but that doesn't necessarily translate into companionship, empathy, validation, daily support, or sometimes even a simple acknowledgement of our of our existence. That's a really powerful yes. uh, quotation. And it, it obviously comes from somebody who's felt that very deeply. And, and it fits very much with what we just read about Therese feeling that same sense of loneliness. Yeah. And, and wouldn't you say that so much of our dysfunction in society is stems from not being able to, to grapple with that, that essential loneliness and, and to, um, to handle it in, in ways that are ultimately fruitful and life-giving? Well, I, you know, I might throw this out as a, as if I'm allowed to have a spur of the moment reflective question. Uh, you know, we started out with one, but I, I might, you know, kind of throw this out to people as we've been talking, you know, Amy, and that is, you know, have we reflected on our own loneliness? I mean, let's get honest with ourselves. I, I, you, I don't know, Amy, I can't speak for you. You know, you do, we do a lot of reading and, and listening. I have my own hypothesis, but it's, it certainly seems to me that we're suffering an epidemic of loneliness in the world, which is ironic given that we have social media. We have so, so many ways oh, to connect. <laughs> we, oh, we're, we're connected with social media. So we are so like engulfed in people. And I think though, most of us feel an intense uh, loneliness. And I remember reading an article. I'm sorry I don't have the reference with me. I'm doing this off the spur of my head. So if I can come up with the reference, we can we can post it. But it was an article uh, in in one of the you know media outlets that talked about uh, particularly uh, middle aged uh, women who tended to be most active on social media. They tended to be you know very uh, you know daily multiple postings on social media, and at the same time reported intense loneliness and, you know, intense separation. So clearly <laughs> Facebook and Twitter are not uh, connecting us in the way that, um, that Therese yeah. wants us to be connected. They don't satisfy the deepest longings of the soul. That's for uh, sure. Yeah. Well, well put. They don't satisfy the deepest longings of the soul. And that's really what uh, Therese you know, suffered and she can offer. And then, and then there, there's sort of one other thing too, as we sort of move uh, th through this uh, episode uh, toward the end. And that is in the April, uh, in the April readings, we also uh, talk about where, where did all this lead? So we, we had the, 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 the young Therese and then her mother died. She went into her second phase, which was darkness and anxiety and, and, and all these problems that she had. And then she had her moment of Christmas conversion um, and she, uh, was received that grace. And now we see her struggling with loneliness and et cetera. And we have this moment where she's now decided that she wants to go into Carmel. 
and she wants to be a Carmelite. It's religious, yeah. And you know, to join to join her sisters. And you know, here's what I think is interesting. And this is, you know, the listeners may have their own view. But remember, I read in here where she, you know, she had said, uh, Therese had said, wasn't Jesus my only friend? And so to some degree, you know, the, the Lord certainly was pulling her away from attachments in the world and was pulling her to himself. And isn't it interesting that somebody who felt such loneliness would decide to go into a Carmelite monastery? Where, yes, which would be, yeah, cloistered a cloistered monastery is cut off from the, the entire rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. You're, 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 you're cut off from the world and you're, and you're cloistered. And, she, but she didn't do that as a, in a, a sort of negative type of, um, you know, dysfunctional response. Not a withdrawal like, or escape, but right. yeah. Yeah. I'm lonely, and if the world doesn't want me, then I'm gonna. You know, it wasn't that type of a deal. I, you know, really, what I see is that through her crosses of loneliness, Jesus was calling her, you know, to say, you know, I don't want you to focus on the world, and I don't want you to focus. I want you to focus on me, and I'm calling you to a special uh, place with me, to an espousal, really, uh, of of the cloistered nun as they are spouse to Jesus in, 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 in the monastery. And so she actually fulfilled her deepest, that, that deepest longing that Twitter and Facebook can't fulfill. Uh, she could find in her commitment, her, you know, literal espousal, which for those of you who are listeners who don't realize when, you know, when they go into the cloistered uh, uh, monasteries, that that's essentially, they take vows in the same way that married people take, you know, vows. And, um, and so she was able to satisfy that, that longing, but now to get there, Amy, <laughs> so that's, that's what she wanted to do, but she had a little bit of trouble, didn't she? Trying to get, of course, because now she's 15 and the entrance age is 21. Yeah. She's too young now. Uh, okay. This is the paradox we talked about, or Heather brings up. And we talked about last time is the paradox here is the, you know, the young people, I need to please people. I'm hypersensitive. If I don't have your approval, I'm going to burst out in tears. And then on the other hand, this fearsome, I'm going to get, I'm going to go into Carmel and nobody's going to stop me. You know, this really fearsome. And I, and I, I, I tend to think the Christmas conversion to me had something to do with that. There was a real change in her life that her opened her completely to forget about herself charity for other people. And I think no doubt had to have given her a tremendous amount of internal strength. And Heather talks about, you know, the, the desire now, all of a sudden, instead of hypersensitive anxiety, she's now filled with desire, holy desire, you know, holy desire for uh, Jesus. And she's not going to let anything get in the way. So she goes, I I love the fact that she, in this particular, you know, um, a pursuit of her will. She is like St. Joan of Arc, where St. Joan, once she knew her mission, she wouldn't let anything stop her either. I think this is one way that she most, most resembles that tries most resembles her, her, um, her St. Joan of Arc that she loves so much. Well, I think that's a, that's a wonderful insight because she was very inspired. As, as I said, last time, a common there a commentator had said that Therese considered Saint Joan to or Joan to be the 
greatest grace she'd ever had. She was very inspired by Joan. And I think that's a really insightful uh, uh, point. And so she did have the fighting spirit of St. Joan and she did things that are, are remarkable. I think most of us would probably have backed down at a certain point. Um, so she goes to the bishop. The bishop has to prove. The bishop says, no, <laughs> you have to wait until you're of age. And I think most of us would probably say, oh, well, I really wish it were otherwise. But the bishop said, <laughs> but not Therese. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. She's not disobedient to the church. She's obedient to the church. But there's a hierarchy. <laughs> <laughs> the bishop has a boss. <laughs> yeah, the bishop has a boss. You can pull rank on, you know, on, the, on, on the bishop. So she's not disobedient to the church, but there is a hierarchy. So where does she go? The family goes on a pilgrimage to Rome. And she goes with them to Rome with, uh, you know, one of her sisters and they're on their way. And who do they go to have an audience with, uh, with a group of pilgrims that had an audience with Pope Leo the 13th. Yeah. Now I don't know about you, Amy, but would you just kind of throw yourself down there at the Pope and just start? <laughs> I, would be, I, would... I would be so flummoxed. I, I wouldn't even be able to get out two intelligible words if, if I met the Pope. <laughs> I just, I'm just. I've not, I've, I've not met a, a, a pope. Uh, some of our listeners pro, pro, probably have. I mean, I'm sure there are some listeners who have, who have met one of our popes, but um, I haven't. But it would be kind of a big moment. And uh, Therese, really, with no disrespect whatsoever, she throws herself at the feet uh, of Pope Leo the Thirteenth. She's, I want to, I want, I want to go into Carmel, and he's, he doesn't really know what to say other than. Holy well, Father, if, if you agree, it will it will happen. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. Well, well he kind of he kind of goes down that stream you would expect when you're the Pope and you didn't really expect, you know, you didn't really know this was coming. You're kind of blindsided by this. So he he said what you would expect him to say that, oh, if it's God's will, uh, it'll happen. Well, that didn't satisfy her. She's well, I know that, but she wouldn't. She she begged him. She said, but but if you say, if you say it, they'll make it happen. And he's like, well, you know, and then he kind of. He kind of gave her encouragement, but without a firm sort of, and how could he? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I, I mean, think they carried her away in tears, like the papal guard or something. Yeah, they had to carry her. They had to lift her up and carry her away in, in, in tears. Now this, this is a very different Therese, I think, than we saw in, in her earlier life. Now what we are, and I, I love that example you gave, Amy, of, of comparing her to Joan of Arc. This is a spirit of Joan of Arc. This is a spirit of, of really fighting for your desires. Like you're, you're going, you're going to be respectful. You're going to honor the church. You're going to follow the, the church and the hierarchy, but you are not going to be stopped when you know that God is calling you to, to do something. And uh, so she was eventually able to go in to Carmel at, at a young age around uh, 15 or 16 and uh and to begin her her carmelite uh, career so that is you know it does sound a little bit like joan of arc in season one <laughs> yes wow what a story well since you snuck in another reflective question i've got i've got one just to close with and thinking reflecting on saint Teresa's daring to to ask you know to make such a big request um go big or go home basically is what she did there. I, I want to ask our, our listeners, you know, what big thing could you dare to ask the Lord for, you know, there, 
what is that thing that you desire with all your heart? And, and maybe you've never asked because you don't want to be disappointed. Oh, but heck, you know, go big or go home. Ask the Lord. I, I, I need to go do that as soon as we, as soon as we close out, you know, you, um, I know we're closing here, but, but, um, in one of the reflections and meditations I have, we're coming up on Pentecost, by the way, and it was on, on the Holy spirit. And it was on exactly that, Amy, it was, it was a reflection from uh, Cardinal Manning back in the 19th century. And, and his point was that we honor God when we ask for big things oh yes yeah and and that the god wants us to ask for big things and he said it was a false humility to just be oh i'm not worthy to ask for great things he said it's not that's pride he said it's not about you you didn't win the way jesus won the way and since you are heirs with jesus you have the right to ask for this uh, wow Wow. And he said, and in fact, God, God's not offended or bothered. God wants, he wants you to ask for these big things. So I think that's just such a great question you asked. Well, wonderful. That, that was, this is such an inspiring story, Walter. And it's, it's, uh, I really enjoy getting to talk about it with you and, and I hope our listeners are, are enjoying it too. And, and um, enjoying Heather King's book, which we highly recommend. And so for next week, next episode, we will be reading chapters five and six. So now we're up to May and June in the year with St. Therese, A Shirt of Flame. Um, Excellent. And it's a, it's a great companion book. It sure is. And so we will read a prayer. Well, as our closing prayer, we will read the one from Heather King in April. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, be with me in my loneliness. God, Give me the courage to stay the course. God, lead me to the people who will help me to discern your will. God, let me be willing to shed my blood to the last drop, even though most of the time I'm not willing to shed even one drop. God, if I'm called to go against the wishes of those who are close to me, let me do so with humility and love. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you, Walter. And many blessings to you and to all of our listeners until we return again. See you next time. See you. We'll sign off for now. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover enchantment and adventure with St. Joan and St. Therese, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us at heroic-hearts.com.